0: We continue our consideration of the question, what do we know about limitations imposed upon the exercise of God's loving kindness and mercy from the Bible? We have considered the text in Psalm 78:41. they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. When we consider the loving kindness and mercy of God, we are studying the more natural side of, of the great, glorious Godhead. For the scripture tells us that God is love in his very essence. This love manifests itself in various ways, as we have seen. The love of God manifests itself in righteousness, but also in an abundance or overflow of a merciful kindness and love and mercy toward all. This inner disposition or overflow of kindness manifests itself outwardly toward man, first of all, in God's patience and long suffering with man in his rebellion. God has not exercised justice immediately, but has taken measures of mercy. Then, secondly, we saw that God's loving kindness and disposition of mercy manifests itself. In an abundance of forgiveness of the sins of men as has been narrated in many Bible passages but there are certain limitations of the glorious manifestation of the loving kindness and mercy of God it is important that we understand what these are and what they are not God's arbitrariness for example does not limit his mercy toward any None shall fail of the mercy of God because God arbitrarily did not choose them. Nor the absence of personal merit on our part shall ever hinder the mercy and grace of God. Scripture tells us that our righteousness is as filthy rags and therefore God can never be merciful to us because we deserve it. Nor is the fact that no one is seeking after God To be reconciled to god a barrier to god's exercise of mercy god recognizes the fact that no one would ever be saved except god took the first initiative but the righteousness of god imposes a very definite obstacle to the exercise of his loving kindness and mercy toward men the forgiveness of sin is indeed a complicated problem because of the nature of moral government and so we continue our consideration of this problem by remarking in the ninth place that if the basic problem and the free pardon of sin is not an inner vindictiveness in the nature of the godhead independent of the relationship that is sustained to moral creatures exactly what then are the problems that exist To such measures of mercy and what kind of an event needs to be brought to pass to satisfy these great requirements by the word vindictive is generally meant a tendency to be revengeful of injustices caused to one or to retaliate for wrongs done it is the opposite of a forgiving or generous spirit the one insists that strict and precise justice shall be exercised for injuries caused the other extends mercy and pardon which is in no sense deserved it is most unfortunate that this word and its concept has been brought into the realm of christian theology to refer to a state of mind supposed to exist in the godhead as a barrier to the forgiveness of sin. This idea is of comparatively recent origin in the history of the Church not having come into prominence until Reformation and post-Reformation times it altered the focus of thought from God's problems of forgiveness relative to his creatures to the thought that the real single obstacle to mercy resided in the divine nature itself God could not forgive it was thought unless every iota of justice was executed. Of course, this strict justice could not be executed upon the subject to be forgiven, since the punishment to be meted out was an eternal punishment. It never could be paid up or discharged. Thus a substitute must in some way pay in full such a one's obligation. When this was done, the one so being saved would be saved on a basis of strict justice. Exact punishment was executed upon the substitute, and therefore the repentant sinner might be discharged from punishment with no further claims against him. God's righteousness is said to demand this before the sinner can be treated mercifully. Or that God's nature is bound with an imperative of vindictiveness that must be satisfied so that no claim of strict justice remains this is called the basis of justification in that the sinner is released because all his debts to justice are paid no claims are relaxed it is claimed or voluntarily set aside of course the great difficulty is to reconcile this concept with the basic idea of forgiveness or pardon of sins so frequently set forth in the bible forgiveness to all common understanding of the term means to relax a claim against one to remit freely a penalty christians are admonished in ephesians 432 to be kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. We are in no sense, in our dealings with our fellow men, to insist upon any kind of justice upon those who have injured us, but are freely to set aside and forget all just claims. And then it is said, That this is exactly what God has done toward us in pardoning our sins out of his abundant storehouse of love the vast number of Bible passages that have been considered under the topic of the loving kindness and mercy of God has overwhelmingly set forth the most glorious fact in the universe that the inner nature of the Godhead is entirely different from ours apart from divine grace while we are naturally impetuous and vindictive against wrongs committed against us god is entirely opposite in his frame of mind for god in very essence is love this is the glorious message to be heralded to all that god abounds in a disposition to forgive As far as the inner nature of the Godhead is concerned if certain other objections can be removed or that God is not in any sense personally vindictive or retaliatory but rather that his abounding love flows out towards sinners seeking to conquer their stubborn hearts and to win them to a happy state of holiness it is not a question of god's personal reaction to sin for it must always be true that god resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble as we read in first peter 5 5 but it is affirmed to be the profound message of the bible that the love of god so tempers this feeling of repulsion that god is disposed to return kindness for evil And at no time treats man like he deserves to be treated. Judgment and punishment is not primarily a personal reaction manifesting itself, but a divine necessity of moral government fulfilling God's obligation that is imposed upon him because of his position as the moral governor of the universe. He must, in righteousness, protect his subjects and dispense true and perfect judgment and justice toward them but if the nature of the godhead is disposed to pardon and forgive what problems confronted god as to the free exercise of mercy as this was contemplated toward sinful man what humanly insurmountable obstacles had to be removed before God could accept repentant sinners back into the great area of fellowship that had so carefully been planned for man's happiness. There appears to be a threefold imperative. In the first place, some great tremendous measure must be substituted in the moral government of God that would accomplish the same function as the punishment of sinners would do. It must be laid down as a fact before all that sin cannot be committed without terrible consequences and that these consequences will inerrantly follow every sin if no sin shall escape proper treatment then an indelible impression is made upon all moral beings to avoid sin thus moral government is sustained as soon as moral beings would get the concept that sin might be committed without penalty being attached, there would be a complete breakdown to the whole moral realm. And certainly, God cannot exercise mercy consistent with His righteousness toward all and permit such a state of affairs. But in the second place, it is of utmost importance to the state of respect required in moral government that the moral character of the ruler and dispenser of justice should be properly comprehended. God is the great moral example of the universe whose holiness is to be imitated by all who have been created in his moral image. We are to hate sin and disobedience with an unceasing and deadly hatred. God's inner hatred of sin must ever be before us. We can understand how dreadfully serious sin is regarded to be in the moral government of God by the consequences and threatened punishments that God has dealt out and promised to all offenders. If these eternal punishments are to be set aside and forgiveness extended, what shall tell forth to the moral universe that God has not changed in his inner hatred towards sin? That his moral character is still one of love of righteousness and holiness and hatred of all disobedience that God's great heart is still upset and broken by all who defy truth in unrighteousness even as the prophet Ezekiel was instructed to declare I am broken with their whorish heart which has departed from me chapter 6 and verse 9 it is obvious that some great measure is needed here to stop the inflow of misconception of God's character when he reverses himself in mercy to declare that it is possible that the soul that sinners shall live and not die eternally. But we must continue in our next. Our Heavenly Father, how we praise and thank Thee for the revelations of Thy mercy and loving kindness in the Bible. How we thank Thee that all sinners may repent of all sin. Come to the cross of Jesus Christ who died for the sins of the whole world and through faith in his death be reconciled to thee and live with thee eternally. Oh, how we plead that many may do so in Jesus' name. Amen.